and I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 17 this morning. We're skipping ahead uh, in the traditional church calendar. This is historically known as Transfiguration Sunday. And so we'll be focusing on that story today. And uh, the thing about it is, if you know me very well, um, you'll find that I really enjoy the mountains. I mean, I love the beach and all that stuff too, but there's something about being in the midst of the mountains. And not just in the midst and looking up at the beautiful view, especially when they're snow-capped and we're not. Um, yeah, you got that right. But one of my favorite things to do is to get up on top of the mountain and uh, had the pleasure of uh, Pat Braswell taking me up on four-wheelers and with others and us going up, up Marble Creek to the top and, and sitting up there. And as we stand on the top, you can see over the entire valley. And I've done that uh, in Colorado as well from mountaintops. Of, I, I didn't make it to the full 14,000 hike in that thing, but I, I did get to 13.8. And that's my claim to fame. But uh, as you sit there and you take in the view you begin to understand a, a different perspective. You, you get a different understanding that you can't have from anywhere else. And the higher, the better. I've told you about, you know, same with being, you know, up at the top of the Grand Canyon and looking down and freaking my dad out because we're too close to the edge and... Uh, but life is like that as well. That, that sometimes there are, there are elements and events in periods in time where we have these high points that give us a perspective that we can't experience anywhere else. That in those viewpoints, those experiences help sustain us as we move forward. Because you can't forget them. They leave an imprint on your life. In the Old Testament, these experiences were called theophanies. Um, people that talk about them. They, the Theo meaning God and epiphany meaning revelation. So when I say that, it's just a, it's a revelation of God such as the story of Moses, who was walking along in the de desert, minding his own business, and all of a sudden, there's a burning bush that's not burning. Not being consumed. And as Mo Moses stood there, he hears the voice of God say, Moses, take off your shoes, for you are on holy ground. While Moses had been wandering before, in that moment, Moses knew. You know, he, he'd experienced other things. He had seen other things. He had been in other places. But in that moment, he knew that God was real. That 
God was speaking to him specifically. It happens to him another time later. He goes on the top of Mount Sinai and for six days and six nights, Moses is up there and all of a sudden a cloud surrounds him and God speaks into him and in the midst of the presence of God, he is given the Ten Commandments. And in in the midst of all the different moments that Moses had, uh, at least these, especially these two encounters, they change Moses. Because who he knew he had encountered. Not just that he had an experience, but he knew who was the God of the experience. Today we look at a different but a similar story. Where Jesus, he's been teaching and preaching and meeting with his disciples and training them. And he takes three of his disciples and he says, we're going to head up this mountain. Most scholars believe that it's Mount Hermon, uh, which is located just outside of uh, Caesarea Philippi where he had, was in just in chapter 16 and 15, and it's, that mountain is, is about the same altitude as, as the Elkhorns. And while that story takes place on a mountain, we can't get so focused on what happened, you know, the location as far as much as we need to focus on what happened on the mountain. Because that's what really matters. Now, it wasn't uncommon for Jesus to leave. You, as you read scripture, as you read the gospel stories, he would go off on his own to pray. But this time, he takes three disciples with him. Peter, James, and John. And they, they probably assume what's going to happen. I mean, Jesus has done this often. They know he's gone off on his own as prayer. But so... But he says, come, he invites them to participate. And so he goes up with them, or they go up with him. And up that trail they went. And, and we can assume, because it doesn't say they stopped at any places and just, you know, they didn't stop until they got to the top and they get there. Luke says that Jesus begins to pray and says that the disciples were sleepy. If I had just hiked 9,000 feet, I'd be sleepy too. But regardless, in the midst of this, Matthew points out that what came next wasn't something that anybody in any state would have been expecting. While they watched in awe something wonderful beyond any real description happens. Their rabbi, their teacher, the one whom they had just declared Lord, is transfigured in the midst of their presence. His, his, his appearance changes. In verse 2, Matthew describes it as light streamed from his face, as bright as the sun. His clothes became whiter than white, They shone with light. These men knew Jesus really well. They had been following him for three years. They had watched him uh, speak. They had heard him 
They'd participated. They'd watched him heal on countless occasions. They'd even experienced him, especially these three, had even experienced him resuscitate people from the dead and speak life into them. In chapter 16, just before this, they had just declared and confessed their faith that he's not just a rabbi, he's not just a teacher, that he is in fact the Son of God, the Messiah. But I think it's fair to say that they were not prepared for this encounter. I mean, they knew Jesus. But in the midst of this moment, everything that they thought they knew takes a back seat because they couldn't have ever imagined what they were seeing right then and there. And it doesn't end there. As they look on, they become aware that all of a sudden it was for them, them three and Jesus, and now it's six. There's two other people there standing with Jesus. And in some mysterious, wonderful way, they knew who these two figures were. Moses, the lawgiver, and Elijah, the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. They knew the stories of them, these men. They had been told them since, since they were kids. They knew that Moses had been on a mountain like this once, at least once before where he talked with God and he, face to face and he received the Ten Commandments. They knew of Elijah who went on a mountain and, and fought the, the prophets of Baal when he pr- prayed fire down from heaven and defeated those false prophets bringing God's people back to him. And here were the key representatives of the law and the prophets in conversation with the living gospel. I mean, think about it. They have a vision of of all scripture fulfilled right then and there. They have the law fulfilled, the truth triumphant, and the plan of salvation standing right before them. all represented in one glorious conversation. Luke tells us something of what Moses and Elijah were discussing with Jesus, that they were talking about another mountain yet to be climbed, the, the hill of Calvary. And I think it's fair to say that Peter, James, and John probably didn't fully understand the implications of what is headed their way. And what is in this midst of this moment? I mean, the disciples are uncomfortable. Don't ever think that when God manifests in that kind of power that it's going to be a comfortable, sit-back, easy time. It's going to get uncomfortable. And they're freaked out. It says that Peter, in the midst of it, tries to do something, he, rather than just sitting back, he speaks up and he says, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And just as he states this, as, he, as he's speaking this, a cloud encircles them and a majestic, majestic thundering, authoritative voice from heaven speaks 
as the father encapsulates this. He, he says, just like he had at the moment of baptism, this is my son in whom I love. With him I am well pleased. But he adds something else. Listen to him. Listen to him. In this proclamation, we are given very specific instructions. It's not just pay attention, it's listen. Actively participate in what he is saying. Because the heart of faith is, is not Jesus and the law. The heart of faith isn't Jesus and proclamation. The, uh, it's not Jesus and anything. The heart of faith is Jesus. That's the message on the mountaintop. It's carried home with Peter, James, and John. But suddenly that moment is over. They start to head down the mountain. And even before they get to the bottom of, of the journey, they're, they're back to the nitty gritty of, of life and circumstances. As far as we know, they never experienced another kind of moment like that. But one of the thing, things we need to remember is that those men never forgot what they saw on that mountain. They were told specifically not to share it until, until after the resurrection. And they didn't even understand what that meant. They just hold on to this moment. And they would need it. They needed that moment. For it, in just a few weeks, they would need it because their master is going to be taken away, mocked, beaten, and hung on a cross. They would need it when they felt in the midst of the moment that it felt like defeat. It felt like weakness. But they had been on the mountain. They had experienced the glory of God. And that helped them to believe in the midst of the resurrection and helped them reassure the other disciples as well. They needed it after Jesus ascended into heaven and they faced their own crosses that were going to become very heavy. There may have been times where they were tempted to forget to wonder if it was really worth it. But they couldn't let go what they knew to be true. They had been there. They had seen a glimpse of the glory of God. That's why they had been on the mountain. They knew that their master was, was the Lord of Moses and Elijah. And that they could trust that God would not waste their lives and sacrifice. I mean, you look at the three disciples that were there. James would be killed by the sword early in the first wave of the persecutions. He, what he saw was not wasted on him because it helped sustain him as he was persecuted. Peter took that moment and, it, and he, eventually, he helps lead the church in Jerusalem and then Antioch and Ephesus and Rome. 
And what he experienced sustained him, and he passed this story on to others. John outlives them all. And he lives the, with this memory of the day of transfiguration on a mountain in the, in the north of Israel that was a blessing and a hope, and he passes that on. And much like the disciples, we don't get to live on the mountaintop. Or even live for that experience, really. Yes, it's great when we get to be a part, when we experience those moments. Those people in Asbury will remember this moment for the remainder of their lives. And the fallout from that will, will still be one to be, to be watched and participate in. But don't forget this. Yes, three disciples got to go. They got to experience that. The other disciples didn't. They only got to hear it from those three. We're no different. We're in the same spot we get the event secondhand. But for all of us, whether it be those three disciples or the other disciples, and, and even down to us, our calling is to live in confession of faith in the Master. That we would have, have the faith to believe, and then in response we would live out that as we confess our Lord. The same thing that Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Like those disciples, what we can do if we have the faith is we affirm in our hearts daily that Jesus Christ is Lord by living that message. We can spend time and we seek to spend time with him daily. We listen and, and we participate in prayer. We ask him if we can come along when he cares for the hurt of the for the people who hurt. And that's some of just some of the things that we can do. And sometimes when we least experience expect it, we will get to participate in those defining moments when God comes dead, seems like God comes down in the midst of the mountaintop. And God comes through healings. And he meets us in the midst of those special times that, that touch us deeply. You can talk about camps. And those going to NYC will, will talk about NYC for the rest of their lives. You can talk about missions trips and revival services in the local church. Special, special times because we know that we have experienced the living God. But don't miss this. God never meant for us to live on the mountaintop. What follows in Matthew 17 is just as important in the midst of the transfiguration story. The disciples and Jesus come down from the mountain. 
down into the valley, and the first thing that happens is they don't get to report things. They don't get to set up shop and, and lead, lead a worship service. No, what they're doing is they're walking down, and they encounter a family that is deep in the midst of stuff. They are in pain. They are struggling They've done everything they can in the midst of this, and their boy is dealing with seizures, and, and he's fallen into fires and burned, and, and all the stuff that's going on. And in the midst of all of this, the disciples, here they've come off this mountaintop experience, and it's there so it can sustain them in the midst of life. And they've discovered a very real truth that God is also down in the midst of the valley and doesn't just live on the mountaintop. That God is with us, not just on those mountaintop experiences, but God that is with us the next day at the bottom of the valley, um, at the bottom of the mountain in the midst of the valley. And you all know what it's like down at the bottom of the mountain. We all do. We know what it means to experience severe illness and death. We know what it means to experience trauma in, in relationships. We know what it's like to face struggles. We know what it's like at the bottom of the mountain. We don't have to talk a whole lot about describing that. But we also know that God is with us in the midst of those moments, giving us hope and strength in the midst of that time. That's what Joshua was speaking about several weeks ago, that God, you may have chaos going in the midst of your life, but God is still there. He doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us. He may if you're wearing a Celtics jersey, but... <laughs> but God continues to give us hope. And strength, even in the valley. But also that God is with us in the plains, in the midst of the ordinary. When we think about it, we don't spend a whole lot of time on the mountaintops. You don't spend, thankfully, a whole lot of time down in the valleys. Often, we spend most of our time living in the plain, ordinary days. And God is still there. God is in the ordinaries as well. I mean, think about the experiences. There's opportunities as you're driving to work to encounter God. There's, you know, opportunities while having breakfast, a cup of coffee, listening to people and a friend talk that God is still there. That God is, is at the kitchen table. God is there even when we're reading the news. As we watch TV, listen to the radio, feeding the dog, any of these moments can be God moments if we're actively participating and looking. Amen. That God 
is always with us. Yeah, the the mountaintop events are amazing. I've had the opportunity to experience many in my personal life that I can't let go of and I won't let go of. And yeah, none of us look forward to the valley kind of experiences. But we must never forget what the writer of Hebrews tells us. That God has told us, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And so we say with confidence that the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid because what can man do to me? So be people of hope. Don't forget when you've encountered the presence of God. He doesn't leave you when you're going through the difficulties. Continue to seek Christ and remember that God is always with you. That Jesus Christ is still Lord. And in response, we can wholeheartedly sing, We are standing on holy ground. And I know that there are angels all around. Let us praise Jesus now. We are standing in His presence on holy ground. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for the mountaintop experiences, the places where your spirit is ever so sweet, for they sustain us in the valleys. For we know you are real that you give peace and comfort to those who struggle, that you seek the best for all of us, that you do not leave us, you do not forsake us, that even in the midst of the humdrum of the ordinary, you are still there if we look, if we pay attention that we do stand on holy ground because, Lord, you created it all. That you are always with us. May we seek you each and every day, in every moment, and know that you are Lord of all. In your name we pray, amen. You are dismissed.